1: All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today we're going to be talking about the gorilla in the room. Who is to blame? You've heard... Of the elephant in the room, well, nowadays, at least this week, we have the gorilla in the room, and that is the gorilla in the Cincinnati Zoo, who was recently killed um, because a three-year-old boy somehow managed to get into his habitat um, somehow happened. His mother was not paying enough attention to him, not being careful enough. And in fact, he asked his mother uh, whether he, he told his mother he wanted to go down there with the gorilla. And his mother said no, but then apparently turned the other way. And uh, she's been reported as being with several children, several children at the zoo. It's not clear how many exactly, except that she has at least four with her current husband and um there's there's been quite a in my mind the reason why I'm calling a gorilla in the in the room is because um, although there's been a lot of blame put towards her on social media, um, I don't think that there has been enough. I don't think that the real that we're really getting down to um, just how how much danger not only this child, but her other at least three children are in. Um, this does not seem to be a, a um, just a one-time kind of incident, especially since the mother is refusing to take any responsibility. Um, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about you know who's to blame, the mother, the zoo, because really where I'm going with this is that although the mother has denied her responsibility at all, In this matter, um, and has thanked the zoo for shooting the gorilla, (laughs) Uh, this endangered gorilla, endangered species, gorilla, um, was shot, which is another thing that I want to talk about with my guest, whether that really had to have been um, the outcome, whether he had to have been shot, and of course, the zoo, the head of the zoo, is protecting the people on his team who shot him. I mean everybody's protecting themselves. And where I'm going with this is, I would not be surprised, um, after the mother has thanked the zoo for shooting the gorilla and saving her son, that we have a lawsuit coming about um, by the family to the zoo complaining that they didn't have enough protection of the of the enclosure that her son should never have been able to get into the moat that her poor son who although he didn't really suffer any life endangering injuries uh, we're going to have you know he's going to have PTSD I mean she's going to claim that he has PTSD and yes you know is it possible certainly that he was in the moat with the with the gorilla for approximately 10 minutes um, of course, in my opinion, the gorilla was totally trying to protect the boy. But in any case, was that frightening for a three-year-old boy? Of course. Um, we're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about what's disturbed me most about this is the, um, the voice uh, of the mother, the words of the mother, and the voice of the mother that we have heard now um, because people took video as this was unfolding. And this seems like a very troubled woman. Aside from the fact that she, you know, wasn't paying enough attention to her child, who had already warned her and said that he wanted to go down in the moat, or whatever word he used, being he wanted to be with the, the gorilla. He wanted to go see the gorilla. Um, you know, you would think that she would have done a little more to take him away from the gorilla, uh, from that exhibit, to take the whole lot of them, the other children. She was supposedly taken care of as well, um, and, and just gotten him out of danger. But the words that she uh, used calling to him, uh, I want to analyze all of this with my guest, Dr. Lauren Linder. When it comes to anything psychological and animal, <laughs> she's the one to call. Um, Dr. Linder is a psychologist She with uh, not only a Ph.D., but a Master's in Public Health. She has devoted her life to helping veterans and um, and animals, um, and creating various programs to in which veterans became helped through helping these um, these homeless homeless veterans have been helped by helping these homeless birds and homeless wolves. Um, she is. She created a program at the VA in Los Angeles uh, called Birds of a Feather, a sanctuary for parrots. She's the head of this, the Association for Parent Care. Parrot Care. It should be parent care. Then she could help oh, a woman yeah. son went in the moat. And she now currently, for, and for years, has been with her husband, Matt Simmons, uh, running, creating, running the Lockwood Valley Animal Rescue Center which is for um, rescued wolf dogs and uh, also rescuing more veterans in the process. So, Lauren, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you very much. and <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you for having me and for not taking this matter lightly. Yes. Well, go ahead.
2: <clears throat>
3: Pardon me. Well, yes, there's so many issues regarding this. The, the fact that this beautiful gorilla had to be killed over an incident like this, uh, there's so many factors involved. The main issue I like to bring to light is the fact that there are 340, 350 uh, gorillas in captivity that we know of in, in in this country, and whether or not that's the right thing f- for them to be, you know, for is that, if that is that the right place for them to be. Uh, I've written a couple of articles on the mental health of chimpanzees, which, just like gorillas, are very similar in genetic structure to, to our own, to human beings. And they need that kind of social interaction that is critical to their well-being. They need the kinds of comforts that are, they are accustomed to in, in their their everyday life. That, that is to preserve their psychological well-being. And gorillas, every night, make a nest that is essential for them. Their, their sleep, of just, just like for humans, is so important, and to make themselves comfortable in that way, uh, they are deprived of that in most zoo settings. Uh, the Cincinnati Zoo was something of an exception in that they created this gorilla world that enabled the gorillas to have a little bit more enrichment, a, mo- a little bit more of an of a, Familiar environment that that allowed them to to roam where they would normally in in a kind of a a, a moundness or you know steep setting, and that's important for gorillas uh It's also important for them to have protection from the heat they don't get they don't like direct sunlight they're they're forest d- dwelling animals so just being in a zoo is not necessarily a good thing for this gorilla, let alone you know being killed. So uh, that's an important point that I really want to bring up, that that we look at the mental health of these animals, not just their physical health. And for many animals in captivity, their mental health needs are not being met. Huh. Well, that's
2: interesting. Um, I mean, and I'm glad to hear that the Cincinnati Zoo was on, you know, that you think that that was one of the better zoos for that. I actually... Um, i 'm not as I know, I know that this is you have been a, an, a long time activist uh, on behalf of animals not just not just um, uh, gorillas or chimpanzees but um, elephants and so on. I actually have a different opinion about that, but before we, we can and we can get into that it's, um, but before we get into that, I want to ask you because of all your expertise on these animals um, what, what, did, what was your impression of the you know, you, you, saw, um, you saw some of the video of the animal, of the gorilla, this gorilla. Um, what was your, Harambe is his name, nice. uh, what was your impression
3: of him and what he was doing with this boy? Well, it appeared to me, just like in a previous uh, uh, incident where a young, I think it was a boy then too, fell into a a gorilla enclosure or climbed into it. Uh, Actually, in that case, I think the boy did fall. Uh, The gorilla actually went to protect the boy. And at that zoo, they had a mechanism in place where they were able to appeal to the gorilla to, to take him, I think it was a female, to take her away from the little boy who had fallen into the enclosure. And there are many ways to do that. I run three sanctuaries, and two of them have what is called inherently dangerous animals. They're wolves foxes, coyotes, and we, we have ways that, of course, we're not open to the public, but we also don't uh, allow even our, our staff or volunteers or the veterans who come to get the benefit of what we call the Warriors and Wolves Program. When, when they come, we have mechanisms in place to make sure that, an, that the, the human being is safe, because if the human's not safe, inevitably, it's the animal get, that gets in trouble. It's the animal that gets euthanized or killed on the Spot if they if they hurt a human, so we want to make sure that everybody is safe, and we have ways wh- where we can um, rush in with um, a very thick sheet of um, uh, of. Um, Tarp that can separate the human from the animal. Um, we can call, make. We have certain um, bells and bells and whistles to really call the animal off of, off of the the human. A- animals like this that are this intelligent and are this social respond very well to novel stimuli. So if you introduce something new, a great big sound, or it, or you your, you send your staff into the enclosure, that animal is going to attend to that, and. and and uh, switch their attention enough so you could grab the child away. In the last incident, that that gorilla was. With- was obviously trying to safeguard that child from the other gorillas or, or from whatever other dangers that they perceived were present. In this case, it did not appear that the child was being, um, was being harmed by the gorilla. The, the, the gorilla, remember, is a 400-pound animal. So when he grabs a child or would grab his own child, he does it with a considerable amount of strength that might seem, you know, more to us than is, is, would, that you would encounter with a human. But the fact is he was doing what a gorilla does. So he grabbed the boy. The boy was upright and standing next to the gorilla. There did not appear to be any direct danger to that child. And this was an extreme reaction, in my opinion. And the the alarm that was going on up above may have also of course created alarm and distress in the gorilla so that he might have looked a bit more agitated and wondered what to do with this this you know incredible situation what was he to make of it can you imagine so right He, he grabbed the boy thinking that maybe there's more danger, maybe more people are going to fall in and invade his little habitat. But he certainly did not appear to be aggressive or, or bite the child. I mean, look at the, look at the strength that, that is incumbent in this animal. And he, he did nothing to demonstrate that he was going to use that strength in a, in a, in a disastrous way. It was an overreaction. I I totally, totally agree with you.
2: You know there was a there was a part when he he pulled the boy through the water to up to a land a landing um and yes, like what you were saying, you know this is how he would have he was protecting the boy, and it was like as what he would have done if he was protecting a baby of his you know it's how he would have that's how they the animals do that that they you know it wasn't like. He wasn't doing anything malicious or harmful. It was just the way that he would pull his own baby from the out of the water where these crazy people were screaming uh, and making all kinds of noise up above uh, to safety. And um, you know, somebody should have been uh, should have been trying to calm the crowd, of course. But um, but yes, I mean to think that the baby, the, the child—he's not—it wasn't a baby, but like the the, the three-year-old. Um, was in there for almost ten minutes and if the if the gorilla was going to kill him or hurt him or um do something bad, he certainly would have done it in all that time and Absolutely. um so what do you think of the you know what do you think of the fact that they um shot him i mean do you think do you know of any particular i mean yeah I was reading about that that um that in some cases one way to deal get gorillas or um uh, gorillas are in that um, in that family. Animals in that family is by either distracting them, offering them something else like food, or I mean, it seems like the people in the in the zoo they had not really had this
3: kind of uh, problem before, and it seems like they did jump, you know, overreact too quickly. And I absolutely agree. They. Um they said something like 30 plus years where they had had no problems of this nature and maybe you get lax and maybe you don't do your semi-annual trainings that of course any any USDA approved zoo you would imagine is required to do so that you have tranquilizer guns and I understand that they don't work immediately and we, we have experience with that but um, but at that point you are distracting the animal right, right then and there and you, you can run in, you can send in zookeeper staff with um, with protective gear. And, uh, especially since this animal was not demonstrating any real aggressive tendencies at all. Believe me, if he had, that the child would have been, it would have been over very quickly. And it wouldn't, there wouldn't have been this multi-minute, you know, interval. And so, you have, you have staff, you should have your trainings, you should have everything at the ready when you have inherently dangerous animals. And the truth is, gorillas aren't nearly as dangerous as some of their other counterparts, like chimpanzees and so forth, who who, you know, are a bit more territorial in that regard. But still, that doesn't mean that they would have done anything um, dangerous either. It just means that you, you are prepared for the worst-case scenario, and the zoo needed to have other non-lethal means to address these kinds of issues. Every zoo needs to do that. Just as I said, our sanctuary does. Every sanctuary that... I know of, and including our, our own, where we are governed by U.S. Fish and Wildlife and USDA and, and county permits, You have to have um, mechanisms in place to ensure everyone's safety, and that includes the animals. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it's interesting. There, in an article I was reading, um, the the zoo director was saying. Um, uh, it was citing the case uh, in last week in Chile, where a man with a suicide note—did you hear about this? Man yes, with a suicide yes. note in his pocket, stripped down and broke into a lion enclosure at the Santiago Zoo, right. where he was mauled before uh, before two of the animals were shot dead. So, and apparently they did practice; they had practiced drills and discussed. You know what to do in this kind of a case, and yet, and yet they, you know, they apparently I don't know what they, the drill was. I don't know what they learned in the drill, but I um, mean, you know, unless they learned how to quickly shoot an animal, but um, oh, yeah, you know that was kind of, that was an interesting and that and was another tragic interesting case
3: story. And the, th- the thing is, it has to be very specific to the animal. It has to be, you have to know each species to have the proper intervention. For a gorilla like this, non-lethal means would have been the easiest way to go. You just needed to really distract this animal. Ensure the safety of the child in the animal's eyes, because that's what he thought he was doing. So if you quieted the crowd, backed them away from the area, calmed the situation down, let the let the gorilla know that the child was safe, and then distract the gorilla to to release the child. I mean, there there are ways to do that. I don't know enough about that species to say. I know certainly what I would do if a wolf if there was a wolf attack. And and we and, and then by the way, there are no known wild wolf attacks on humans in the lower 48 in in, in North America at all, um, other than uh, a, a very few that. Cannot account for the tremendous um, bias that that species has been um, gar- garnering. It was just, just, it's just, just, uh, is just disgraceful on the part of humans. So I take it that you have never had to um, use these precautions that you have in place. We've had to use them on wolf against wolf aggression. Huh, that's interesting. So well, we, we need to
2: take have a break. Um, my guest is Dr. Lauren Lindner. We're talking about the gorilla in the room, uh, who's to blame, and there, <laughs> there seems to be there's going to be enough blame to go around, but I'm, uh, I'm particularly focused on the mother, and we'll talk a little bit more about that when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. <music>
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the gorilla in the room, the poor gorilla Harambe, who was killed, murdered in cold blood at the Cincinnati Zoo um when a little boy after he warned his mother that he wanted to go see the uh, gorilla uh go down into the gorilla's habitat uh despite the moat and plants around it um, the mother didn't pull him away didn't pull the, she was with several other children uh didn't pull them all away to go somewhere else and lo and behold of course the little 3-year-old boy followed through on his plans to to go play with the gorilla So poor Harambe, a 17-year-old, 450-pound gorilla, um, a very endangered species, the particular type of gorilla that he is, uh, suffered. For this, and I want to talk with my guest, Dr. Lauren Lindner, who has both her psychiatrist, psychologist, and um, animal activist hats on. And I guess I'm going to ask you later to put your uh, expert witness hat on too, because I know this is where where we're going. I've been I've been um, thinking of calling the, uh, trying to find out who the lawyers are for the zoo and calling them and, and offering my services because I, as a preemptive kind of thing, because I know that after the parents, after the family uh, is happy that their son isn't, isn't injured, uh, at least not physically injured, um, they're going to have family and friends and lawyers, you know, ambulance chasers, telling them, go through the zoo, go through the zoo. So you know that that's coming. Um, I want to talk about, because I've been like so fascinated by, um, one particular aspect of this. I mean, obviously, I feel really sad for this, for the gorilla, and I feel angry at the family, at the mother for not doing more to protect her child. But what I'm really, what's really been fascinating is in the video that plays, um, that people took who were standing around the habitat, you can hear the mother's voice. And she's saying, Mommy's right here. (laughs) Mommy's right here. The child is down, I don't know, 20, 15 feet. I'm not really sure how many. I think I've read that it's 15 feet down. Yeah, 15 feet uh, into the gorilla exhibit. And she's saying, Mommy's right here. As if the child, you know, with this whole crowd peering over uh, into the moat, uh, the child is going to be able to see Mommy. Mommy's right here. Mommy loves you. Mommy's right here. Mommy loves you. In this voice. That is so strange. It almost seems. It certainly seems uh, as though she has psychological problems. For sure, I want to say psychotic, but um, I mean, you know, granted, anybody to give to be fair. If you had a child who was suddenly in the moat with a gorilla, a 450-pound gorilla, whether it was your fault or not, you know, you would be freaking out. Okay, I'll give her that. But there's just what it said to me, though was that um, this child and the other several children, at least four with her current husband, uh, are in danger besides being neglected and falling into um, gorilla habitats, that there is a problem going on in that home. And in fact... According to the Daily Mail, who a UK paper who it always it always boggles my mind. They really manage to get um, information that a lot of papers in the states some don't get. They somehow, you know, have reporters who uh, are right in there. Anyway, um, the the woman, the mother's name is Michelle Gregor Greg Michelle Gregg, She's 32. She has four children by Dion Dickerson, who's 36. And he has a lengthy criminal history. Criminal filings against Dickerson, the husband, stretch over a decade and include burglary, firearms offenses, drug trafficking, criminal trespass, disorderly conduct, and kidnap. Uh, Where was he when his son (laughs) fell over into the moat? Um, It's not clear whether he was there or not. They don't mention him uh, in any of the stories that I've seen. But in any case, um, he is from, he supposedly has turned his life around, so it's kind of sad that now this is all getting exposed because of his son falling into the moat. But anyway, he is from Atlanta originally. He studied at Cayuga Community College in Ohio, and he now works as a um, sorter at a Cincinnati industrial equipment supplier. He's currently, and and the wife, the mother, is currently the administrator at a Cincinnati preschool. <laughs> what do you?
3: Th- that's all I'm going to say for, for right now. What do you think of all of that, Dr. Lindner? Well, you know, I I just can't get my heart away from the loss of this this extraordinary animal, and and of course the danger that this this young boy must have must have, you know, that that was potential for this young boy, and that. Um, you know, that he must have been terrified. Um, but, you know, when I, I look at the construction of this zoo, um, and it, it relates to families, because the zoo is, what, 140, 150 years old, one of the oldest, the second oldest in the, in the nation. and um, And this is a more recent exhibit, more like 38 years, something like that. But I think... Because of the way things were with families back when this zoo was first created, children listened to their parents more mm. so when the the construction happened, it was based on societal norms our 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 architecture and our um you know our d- design is based on what is current and whether it be you know parenting roles or you know the you know the ideas of um of art and you know and, and create creativity, so those were reflected in the construction of this facility, and I think children obeyed more, children parents supervised better, and children didn't engage in in, in this kind of frenetic uh, hyperactive behavior as much. Or if they did, mm-hmm. they were uh, it was noticed, and uh, other family members and extended family and. Community members were able to address that. You know, I remember even in my childhood being um, disciplined by by neighbors, and my parents thought nothing of that. We don't do that anymore. Our, 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 uh, somehow or another, we've uh, we've provided parents with the full role and responsibility of raising their children. They they the teachers really have lost any kind of power in disciplining children and trying to get them to do their homework or schoolwork. Um, it's all the parents now. If parents decide that they don't like it they take their kids out of school, they homeschool, and whether or not they have the ability to do that. And, uh, and I think this was reflected in the construction of, of the facility, that we didn't expect children to go running off from their parents, and we didn't expect parents to not be having the proper supervisorial duties that you would expect. So now maybe we have to think about when we construct things not so much as a, of, a, of adults Climbing over, but you know, looking at it from a very low vantage point, and making sure that children and, and maybe even service animals that people bring to the to the facility can't get through uh, any of these openings. But yes, it certainly reflects a lack of um, parental supervision, and, um, and I'm sure this is not the only place that this has happened. I'm sure that this is reflected in preschools or. You know, at at home, and um, you know this this kind of behavior um, just unfortunately, you know, doesn't get better without parental involvement. Well, that's a that's a very good point. Um,
2: I think it's true that, um, but I mean, I wonder though. I would imagine that. I mean, and you would know this better than I. But um, zoos have to go through periodic Checks with the bodies, the government, the bodies that um, oversee them, and I would imagine that this zoo, especially being so well established, did pass its latest inspection in terms of how safe the guard rails or you know, the protection was around the gorilla moat.
3: Yeah, I mean I know that the American Zoological Society is, is very strict in some regards and and not always uh for the animals well being unfortunately. I mean you still can keep elephants um in, in very small enclosures and they develop, you know, terrible foot problems as a result of not being able to distribute their weight properly over the course of walking. That's what elephants need to do, that's why they walk. Continually during the daylight hours, and the same thing for these gorillas that they they do not they do not have the necessary enrichment to keep them uh, psychologically vibrant, and uh, it's 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 very unfortunate, and I still fault. You know the whole system of of capturing wild animals and uh, and bringing them into captivity for the sake of uh, human entertainment. There's many many other ways that we can enjoy these animals, and unfortunately, with technology now and so forth, we're, we're doing that. And they're not as much in the entertainment industry and so forth. But um, there's a wonderful organization, the Center for Great Apes, that has. Orangutans and chimpanzees were were kept in zoos and were kept in um, private homes as pets and were used in entertainment and were also used in research, uh, medical research, that are now, they have been, Given, you know, relief and new, 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 new lease on life. They they've been uh, released into these to the sanctuary, and it's just remarkable to go there. I've been I was there just several months ago, and to see these animals living in a way that you um, know nature intended uh, is is really remarkable,
2: and, and so, really the
3: only way that they should live if, if if they have to be in captivity.
2: And this is a sanctuary where
3: it's in Florida. Um, uh-huh. And people, uh, it's open to the public? It is open to the public. It's called the Center for Great Apes, and uh, they do wonderful, wonderful work for captive uh, um, great apes, like gorillas and orangutans and chimpanzees and human beings, uh, one of the great apes. <laughs> <We've> <laughs> and left what, we forget. So
2: <laughs> I mean, is it, is it just a matter of um, providing Each of them with more space? I mean, what do they do differently than some of the zoos or the Cincinnati Zoo uh,
3: did, for example? It is just uh, it's mind blowing. Is all I can say. When you go there, it's in a tropical setting in Florida, with trees overgrowing the um, the. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to say exhibits, but the uh, the large enclosures. They're multi-story high for the chimpanzees, so that they can climb up and build their nests mm. in trees, which they are so accustomed to doing, and is so essential to their well-being. As I've said. And they have all kinds of enrichment. they're kept in troops, they're kept in you know groups of other conspecifics, others. Of the same species, which is also essential to them so that they're able to establish their their appropriate hierarchies. And then for the orangutans, they have tunnels that they can run through because orangutans are are tree-dwelling creatures and they really need to be able to live in in a tree-like environment so they have this amazing tunnel system that allows them to run a a tunnel through the trees. So it's not underground, it's just on Hmm. top of the trees they have tunnels running through the trees and... It's it's really developed with with that species in mind. How, what what does that species need in the wild? And since they cannot be released, re-released into the wild, they then can live in a in a, in a facsimile of what they would have had the, the, the appropriate foods that they need to eat. Uh, many zoos, are, according to the A Z A, require that they eat only this kind of monotonous. Um, zoo diet um, at the Center for Great Apes. They get all kinds of amazing um, palate enrichment, and um, you could see the, the, the difference in them. You can see how happy they are versus when you go to a, a zoo-like setting. Hmm. Hmm. So um but yes i mean everyone needs to um to bear responsibility and to bear witness to this and and recognize that we all contribute by you know going to zoos and uh and part of what zoos also do and that's this 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 beautiful silverback male was going to be used as part of their breeding program and and and, yes, we need more gorillas, but do we need more gorillas in captivity? What That's kind of life it. is that for the animals? So he was going to be used as part of their, cap- their, their cap- captive breeding program, and 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 the Cincinnati Zoo isn't going to be able to keep all of those animals, as beautiful as their gorilla world may be. That those babies are going to be sold to other zoos, and other zoos may not have the capacity to care for a, a, a gorilla as as well and and it just becomes um a, an ongoing problem That's why in our sanctuary we are required and any decent sanctuary requires that you spay and neuter all of your animals because you're going to eventually grow out of space hmm that's interesting and, and but, how do you bit, how do you properly care for a burgeoning population you have but, to make sure but if it's an endangered,
2: that. but if it's an endangered species like uh,
3: Harambe was, this gorilla
2: that we're talking about at the Cincinnati Zoo, I mean that's why they were. I um, mean, fortunately, the they saved his sperm, so um, they will be able to still make some use out of that. Um, but. But, you know, that's kind of the point. If they're, if they're endangered, they do want to make more of the little babies. Here's, here's
3: the problem. And, of course, if they're endangered and this is a captive breeding program that will release these animals to the wild, then that makes sense. If you're just preserving them so that they can just be in cages for people to look at and go, oh, there's the last of the lowland gorilla, what good is it? Who, who does that benefit? Certainly not that species. You have to. If you're going to breed, you need to release these animals back into the wild and protect them in the wild. Right now, I have a friend who's fighting poachers in Congo and in Angola, and they they're, they are killing these gorillas for their hands to make ashtrays. Wow. They're killing these gorillas for bush meat. It's it's a very very problem. A prevalent problem right now in, the, in equatorial Africa. And they, these, these, these animals are not going to last long in, in their areas as long as human encroachment continues and there are so few protections and so few, few people who are willing to literally put their lives on the lines because the poachers kill them too. Two of the wonderful workers that my friends were working with in Africa were, were killed by poachers as well hmm. as the gorillas. Wow. So in order to catch capture capture them for captivity, they kill the parents and they take the babies, and um, and it's, it, it, I don't see the, the 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 value of breeding gorillas in, in captivity unless there's a you know we're going to set aside some land and really protect them and release them into the wild. I well, wouldn't want I, to be one of those gorillas and say, hey, I'm protecting my endangered species legacy, and I'm in an eight by twelve. Well, I
2: actually, um, I actually feel. I mean, I I understand what you're saying, but I think that this movement, this politically correct movement, to get all animals um, out of circuses and out of zoos. um, Well, I'm getting hearing the music. We need to take a break, but we can talk more about it when we come back. I I actually think that that's not a good thing. I mean, yes, of course, I think that animals should all be kept in in circumstances that are um, that are good for them I mean that are kind to them and so on but, but I don't think we should just totally blanketly get rid of all of them. Oh we need to take a break <laughs> My guest is Dr. Lauren Linder. we're talking about um, the gorilla in the room, who's to blame so stay tuned, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch and I'm your psychiatrist host Dr. Carol Lieberman <laughs>
0: Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, one 472 5787 and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's one 472 5787 Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help?
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about the gorilla in the room who's to blame? My guest is Dr. Lauren Lindner. She is a psychologist and animal activist. She is the creator and co-creator, I guess, and co-director of the Lockwood Valley Animal Rescue Center in California, along with her husband, Matt Simmons, and um, we've been talking about the um, tragedy at the Cincinnati Zoo where a beautiful gorilla named Harambe um, was shot because a three-year-old mischievous little boy, (laughs) Uh, I mean... (laughs) just told his mother he wanted to go into the into the gorillas' um, habitat and did despite her saying no and then not paying any more attention to him. Um you know, it's interesting, but we didn't really talk about that part of it, Lauren, the idea that it wasn't like that the boy fell into the moat. Um he said he wanted to go down there and um be friends with the gorilla. So, you know, yes, it was probably once he got down there and everybody was shouting and all that, it must have been terrifying. But at the same time, it it wasn't like he fell. This is what he wanted to do. So it wouldn't have been, uh, I mean, he might have bitten off more than he could chew, but it, he wanted to, to touch the animal and be with the animal. What do you think of that aspect?
3: Well, I think most children do love animals, and I think they do want to have you know, physical, tactile contact with them. I understand that, and I I think that it's incumbent upon the zoo and upon the family to enter a zoo-like environment and have all kinds of instructions without detracting from the enjoyment that somebody might get out of the day, to be able to warn people that these animals need their, their space, that they need uh, respect that they, um, you know, that, that we have to, you know, act a certain way. We don't scream. We don't throw food into their enclosures. And that should be incumbent upon the zoo to do, which I imagine they do, but maybe not. And it's, of course, incumbent upon the family. We're going to the zoo today. This is the behavior we have at yeah. the zoo. This is what's important for the animals because the animals have have to be happy, too, just like us. You need and... to write
2: a children's book about that. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: that would be a, a great, great idea. It. It's true. I mean, yes, parents should be doing that, but since uh, since apparently um, many of them uh, do not give that kind of instruction, I think a, a book about it would be great. Um, you know, I worked for uh, Harry Harlow. I may have told you about this, Lauren, but for my listeners, um, years ago, I worked for uh, a Dr. Harry Harlow who had a lab. In uh, a primate lab in Wisconsin, at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And, um, I had learned about this in college when I was a psych major and wanted to be a part of it. And the experiments, these are classic experiments, um, where they, it was the experiment of taking, seeing how, um, these monkeys would be with, with their mothers and without their mothers. So it was, um, some of the monkeys would have and i don 't remember the species that 's why i 'm saying monkey <laughs> i don 't remember exactly
3: whether it was chimpanzees I believe they or were what? cax what was it? I believe they were macaques
2: yeah they they might well have been I, I and so some of them grew up in a normal way with their family, their mother and father and siblings, and some of them were taken away from their family and had these um, they were some of them had terry cloth on them they were models of mothers um, inanimate models of mothers so like out of made out of wood or and have, with some terry cloth on some of them and the idea was to see what would happen to a baby monkey if he didn't have his real mother but he just had these surrogate mothers and um and in fact when the the babies who the monkeys who had the surrogate mothers uh grew up with all kinds of problems and it's just it's just like children um, uh human children that um when children have mothers who are not. Uh, a f- human and affectionate and sensitive to their needs, like this mother in the in the zoo, um, the the, uh, the human mother who uh, allowed her child to fall into the moat or go down into the moat, not fall in. Um, and so it was it made made a big difference. They didn't really know how to interact with other monkeys. they didn't know how to baby their own um children they were you know they had psychological problems if they didn't have a real warm, cuddly mommy uh and instead if they had this a mother that was made out of wood and terry cloth and so on and so it was it was fascinating of course, my job. Um, was to measure at the time that I was there, I was there for a summer, and um, at the time that I was there, they were measuring the impact of these surrogate mothers on the sex life of these monkeys. And so I had to measure, I had to watch them for hours and hours and hours and measure uh, their different behaviors and particularly their sexual behaviors and how having a real mother or
3: a surrogate mother affected their sex life. (laughs) It was very interesting, I must say. (laughs) Well, fortunately, and I understand that that was called Harry Harlow's Hall of Horrors. No, it wasn't. I mean, I don't know. somebody. (laughs) But fortunately, we don't have to do those horrendous experiments anymore. We have... (laughs) What are we saying? So many um, children in foster care. We don't have to spend money on doing research like that. And that we have children who are abandoned by their parents, children who are um, left orphans by their parents, and um, and children who really aren't who have to be removed from really um, you know dysfunctional families. And we have so many children to study uh, as, as a result of those disruptions in families that we can now see the kinds of results Okay, but it was Harry Harlow's work that laid the ground
2: for understanding um the impact of the, some of these cold uh foster parents and these these uh, human kinds of situations yeah. that I are... think Oliver Twist knew about that a long oh. time
3: before. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. <laughs> well, all so, right. Uh, I but, to, but anyway, uh, we're, it, it is true that those kinds of early childhood deficits lead to significant problems later on, and um, and I think you're referring to this family, which you know, of course, not knowing them, I, I certainly can't make any any profound judgments. But you know, when you have somebody who may have had criminal activity, then you're expecting that there's a possibility that there might have been incarceration. Uh, There might have been periods of separation from the child, and all those could have had a significant impact on this child's behavior. We don't know if there was in utero exposure, and I do not know this. So I'm I'm just—I'm not even surmising. I'm just saying, with kids who show uh, who demonstrate this kind of—you know—very frenetic, very kind of what looks like out of control hyperactive behavior, where they climb onto everything and so forth. Very often, there's in utero exposure to. you know substances like um you know drugs or alcohol and that that creates um I have many children in my foster care practice who whose parents you know were were lost their parental rights because of um using while they were pregnant and um and, and and those effects have long-standing impacts on this child's ability to learn, their cognitive processes, their their hyperactivity, and, and I see it I see it every day in my practice.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, and we're not saying that we know for sure. Sh- I mean, supposedly he's, the father has gotten his act together, but we don't know Excellent. what kinds of... I mean, surely this isn't the only incidence of less-than-perfect uh, maternal behavior. Um, to go back to what you were, you know, our disagreement, apparently, about um, the the validity, the value of having animals like gorillas and elephants and so on in captivity in circuses and zoos, um, I do feel that it is important. I mean, I think they should be well cared for, of course, but because I think this is the way that children get exposed to these animals and can then grow up to care for them. I mean, I know growing up in New York, um, certainly I went to circuses a lot, Barnum & Bailey Circuses in Times Square, in, um, in uh, you know, when the circus came to town, and Madison Square Garden, that's what I'm trying to think of. Um, and um, there are other kinds of circuses in Times Square, but the ones with the elephants <laughs> were in Madison Square Garden. And... Um, and of course, zoos. The Bronx Zoo is a great zoo, um, and it made me care more about these animals. And so, it made me want to protect them, want to donate to um, to uh, organizations, charities that help take care of them, and so on. and And I think that this exposure as a child to zoos, to circuses, to wherever you could see these animals um, is important.
3: Uh, And I and I agree to some extent, but I think it goes both ways. They're also very sensitive children. Who uh, not to say that you weren't, because I was (laughs) like you. I just wanted to see them. I loved to see the cops on horses in Manhattan. You know, I, I I loved all of that and it made me very very happy to see animals whenever i could but they're also it also can affect even those same children who are ecstatic to see the animals it can also affect them to think oh are they going to be hurt is, is making the tiger jump through the fire and kids can also get traumatized by those kinds of things and it's very very difficult to keep animals um uh, at zoos, in zoos or circuses, um, hel- healthy and happy because the, most circuses are on the road 320 days out of the year, and the animals are in, just in small crates as they travel on a train throughout the country. And, and when, once children know that and learn about that aspect of it, um, it's, you know, it, it it's, it's hurtful. So it has it has a, it's a double-edged sword, and yes. hopefully now with, with, with what Barnum and Bailey are doing, which is you know, really groundbreaking, is that they're going to you know, eliminate their elephants from the circus, and they're going to provide a sanctuary for them so that people can come see them in a natural setting because, if, like I said earlier, if elephants cannot move and distribute their weight, they get horrible uh, foot problems, and especially those that are kept on, on chains all the time, which they have oh. to do in circuses.
2: Okay, well, I think it's great that they're establishing a sanctuary, but, if, but but how many kids are going to be able to travel to that sanctuary nice when too. circuses come to town or as zoos are in your town? You know, it's a lot easier. I just got an email this morning. I couldn't believe this. When I, I went to Africa a few years ago, and part of why I wanted to go was because of this early exposure to zoos and circuses that made me love these kinds of animals. And I just got an email just this morning um, from one of the – Camps that I went to in Africa. This was in, uh, South Africa. It was called Camp Jabalani. And it was one of the highlights of my trip. I spent days there. And it's, it was <laughs> and a place. It was, well, it was started by being, they adopted, um, an or- orphan elephant and then they were taking in more and more elephants. And it was a beautiful place. They took the, they treated the elephants. I mean, of course it was in the wild. It was in Africa. And they treated the elephants wonderfully. I mean, they did have kind of a, um, like a little barn for them at night, but um, but they of course they treated the animals wonderfully, and I just got an email saying that they are now no longer going to have uh, elephant safaris. They would have elephants that you could go and observe but what what they had when i was there was that you would go out in the morning and go out in the afternoon on the elephant's back in other words go on safari like you can go in a jeep on safari into the into the jungle um this was you would you would ride on the elephant's back just one or two or three people would be on and the man who was Um, you know, who worked there, who was leading the elephant, and you would go into the jungle on the back of an elephant. And it was an incredible, incredible experience. And, you know, it was for quite a period of time. And that was, of course, the highlight of Wav staying there. And um, the elephants didn't seem to mind. We were very, very little compared to, um, you know, how big they were. And so it's just, I'm just kind of devastated. I always wanted to go back there and and spend a longer time, going on uh elephant safari and now and now they they've changed the whole thing so i i wrote them i i wrote them a uh, an email in return saying how disappointed i was now of course you are going to say this is wonderful right
3: well i mean i think it, the, there must have been an incident because uh, there's i mean that's just such a dangerous proposition and the thing is that they 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 would have to elephants are so intelligent they would have to have used some kind of um, disciplinary action or method to, to get them to do that, to follow. And, I mean, elephants naturally follow, but if an elephant wanted to stray away, they would have to use what we call the bull hook, which is, you know, very painful for the elephant. So I think that they maybe decided not to do that. And just like the elephant sanctuary here in Tennessee, we have a huge elephant sanctuary here in the States. And they now have elephant cams, so that you can watch the elephants. You can go online at any time, watch them playing in their mud holes, playing with each other, and um, reuniting with members of their um, uh, uh, former circus pals that they that we were in the circus with. So um, it's it's really quite amazing to watch these elephant cams. And maybe they're going to do a little bit of that in Africa too. It Won't be the same experience, well, for you, maybe. <laughs>
2: I just want to say, though, that I never well, the whole time I was there, I never did see them. I know it could have been before and after, but I never did see them treating the, the elephants badly. But I want to make sure, I just want to give out um, the, the um, I want to tell people to go to um, the website for change.org. There is a petition on the website called Justice for Harambee, um, the elephant that we're talking about uh, at yeah, the Cincinnati gorilla, uh-huh. Zoo. I mean, the elephant, the gorilla, thank you, um, the gorilla. Oh, we're talking about the, elephants, too, <laughs> <laughs> at the Cincinnati Zoo. And it's a, a petition that now has 360, over 360,000 signatures. Um, and it's going to go to the, the head of the zoo. Uh, basically, it's putting the responsibility on the mother and not the zoo. So please go to change.org and sign that. I'd like to thank my guest, Dr. Lauren Lindner. You, <laughs> you're always so... Brilliant, and this woman does more to help animals—animals animals of the um, of the two-legged and the four-legged type—and um, you should check out her um, the sanctuary Lockwood uh, in California. So um, she does a wonderful job helping vets, and helping wolves, and helping parrots and helping whatever animals she can get her hands on. So thank you, Lauren, for joining me, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.